Thanks again for listening to the Park Hills podcast. If you need more information about Park Hills and all the different things we have going on, the Park Hills Church app or parkhillschurch.com. Ten Commandments are the ten words, as the, the Jews sometimes call them, the things that God said. And so as I framed it in the sermon, hopefully by now you've listened to it. If you haven't, you know, I just told you where to go find it. But the goal of the Ten Commandments specifically are for God to help the Israelites build a new culture, a new way of doing things, a new life. Here's people who had been oppressed and enslaved in Egypt and had a way of doing things that they didn't even maybe realize that they were not honoring God in various ways. And it's not to say that they would run around and do some of these things without asking. You know, I don't think Egypt probably let murder happen typically. Most organized societies don't do that. But God wants to set a tone and show them where they're supposed to go and what they're supposed to do. So he does that, and he starts it off by just asking them if they're going to commit to him, and they say yes. So God says, I've done all these things for you. You commit to me, yes, and then he gives them the Ten Commandments. So, Pastor Alex. What's up, Chris? The first of the Ten Commandments, verse 3 of chapter 20. Yeah, well, Chris, let's back up real quick and start in verse 2. Or, okay. if we, you know, verse 1 is just the Lord, the God spoke all these words saying. But look at verse 2. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Mm-hmm. That's covenantal language right there. Very much so. So the, the Ten Commandments are going to function not just like a checklist of rules, right? but there's some covenantal stuff going on here. Yeah, it's not What even, are you seeing? I think we see it as a do's and don'ts, uh, but if you read it in the ESV, especially as we're about to do, you're going to notice the word here is shall. And it really, even that idea of shall versus don't, uh, paints not so much a permissive, but a little more conditional, trying to ask you, this is what you should do. This is the best thing for you. And I think we think of them as, oh, I've broken them. Now I'm totally you know, disposed away from God kind of deal. And what God's saying is, no, this is the structure of the society I want you to have. And if you do this, things will go well for you. That's really more what it is. So that's more the covenantal aspect of it. Right. And fitting into like the overall picture of, you know, there's, covenantal and even marriage language used mm-hmm. of Israel and God's relationship to them. And I think this is a piece of that too. Um, but we'll dig into that later. Well, and like we said in the sermon, imagine it being the vows, right? Right. This is you sharing vows. God's never going to murder. God's never going to do these things. So we, we think of it as, well, duh. Well, no, th- this is God saying, I'm never going to do this. I want you to not do this as well. So right. number one, with that said, <laughs> verse three you shall have no other gods before me. Uh, it's self-explanatory. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Right? I mean, <laughs> at first glance, you're like, oh, that's totally self-explanatory. Well, but there's this little thread throughout the Bible that if you notice, other nations are serving other gods. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I'm not even debating here anything along the lines of, you know, who they're worshiping or any of that kind of stuff. Just the the, the basic statement here of, the God that you should worship, the God that you should serve is going to be me. Mm-hmm. I'm that for you. There's no other gods in your life. 
And how quickly does Israel, uh, you know, handle this well? Yeah, just a couple of chapters. <laughs> but yeah, and there's a lot of conversation about this that, that kind of gets into some nerdy stuff about how there's an idea that uh, that God wasn't saying here to be monotheistic, but just to serve me above the other gods with, sure. the, with the nod to like the other gods that these nations are serving are maybe potentially spiritual beings that sure. are not God. But I mean, either way, God is setting himself up as monotheistic in that there, there's no equal here. Correct. And it's not just, Hey Israel, by the way, I'm going to be your token God. There's some other people who are going to have their different token gods. Uh, you know, he's just pulled them out of Egypt, which was the biggest political mm-hmm. military and economic influence with their pantheon of gods. Right. And, and God just kind of said, Hey, all these, whether they represent spiritual beings or not, whether you just made them up in your head, mm-hmm. I'm totally over these. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna do what they did. Totally, and you're not gonna be like the people around you. And as we've said on the podcast and the sermons many times, chief among them was Pharaoh. Right. So even that means if someone claims to be a god on this earth, you're not listening to them. They're not really God. I'm yeah. God. Yeah, and I think it's easy for us to look at this too and be like. Well, I don't have any, you know, other gods that I worship because I don't name them names. Sure. But how many how many of us worship, you know, a team that throws around a football mm-hmm. once a week or a baseball or with like a G on the helmet? Yeah, that one. I mean, I'm from Detroit. Nobody worships the Lions. <laughs> do they have a football team? Yes, they do. Detroit has a football team. They just made a great first round pick that we'll see what happens. I've heard that so many times from Lions fans well, over the year. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens is our way of saying we're still gonna be bad. <laughs> we're just I mean Megatron. That no, was, that nobody was ever gets excited about the Lions because we never win. And nobody hates Lions fans because they all just feel bad for us. Sure. There's a pity about it. There you go. Yeah. So But if you're a Packer fan, clearly you have another God before God, and you need to think about that. There you go. All right, should we go number two? Back it down. Yeah, let's do it. All right. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So no no images, no idols. Again, I think we it's easy just to be like, well, I don't have any statues at my home. Um but but how often do we in our hearts create Yes. And look at images of other things. Sure. And say, that's worthy of my attention or worship. Yeah, and I think that's totally what is being asked here. And then, you know, then it goes on in verse 5 to keep going, saying, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And that's the most quoted verse in the Bible, right? It's coming up in just a couple of chapters. God says this to Moses as he walks by. But even that idea, you know, I've heard this described a couple of times and I want to point this out because I think it ties to another story in the Bible that I'll get to in just a second. But when it says, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation, we usually think of that as that's not fair. But if you're living in a, in a tent or you're living in a house where all of those generations are actually sharing the same roof, and you're not telling the truth about what happened. So for example, a couple of chapters later, there's a guy named Achan who's going to take a whole bunch of stuff from Jericho, right? He's not Mm -hmm. supposed to. And so they go up to AI and they start to lose in AI and they back off and they're like, who did this? And they, 
they narrow it down and they get to Achan. He's the only person left, right? They've cast lots and all these things over and over again. And here's Achan and his family. Well, Achan probably is a grandfather at that point, if not a great grandfather. And if his whole household knows Achan stole a bunch of stuff from Jericho, everyone always freaks out in that story to me. They go, why did all the kids get, because God just said it right here in this verse that I'm going to visit the iniquity of a father. If you know your father did something wrong and you don't bring it up to me, you're all guilty. So every one of you is going to get sucked into the earth. That's what happens to Achan's family. It's awesome. Anyway, but the idea here is that, but if, but if you serve me, if you want to follow me, I will show steadfast love to thousands. Anybody who comes to follow me, I will give you that. So the idea here is here's the trade-off. Are you going to serve a wooden or stone God that you made yourself an idol, something, even if you're like, I love eagles and you, you know, lion, you know, you, you, you make a little lion statue in your house and you're just like, Oh, I just love you. I'm going to worship you. That's ridiculous. And we all say, well, that's that I would never do something like that. Sure. But if you know somebody else in your family is doing that and you're living in the same house, what God's saying is the whole household should be devoted to me, not just one generation. Everybody should be devoted to me. And if your household is not devoted to me, break away and come find me and I'll be faithful to a thousand of you. It doesn't really matter how many of you follow me. I will love all of you. But if you don't and you know your family's going in a direction they shouldn't be, the iniquity is going to be visited upon all of you. So it's a slightly different way of even looking at generational sin that I know some people freak out about, but I don't know. I think it's a helpful way to think about it. Yeah. And I think, I think it's helpful in the discussion of generational sin to think about like how our sin does affect our children yeah. and their children and the ones that, you know, he says to the third and fourth generation, that's like meaning the people that I would interact with, like I will interact with my kids and their kids, hopefully, and and maybe even the fourth generation, like the sure. the fourth one. If if I consider myself the first generation, like that that generational sin will impact all those people that I will see, and then right. it will continue to impact. But the thousand generations is how much more gracious is God that right that He will those who turn to Him and serve Him instead of these other things, God will bless them. Which these first two, then, so just stop and think about that. If He's a God who loves people that much and you're willing to trade him out for somebody else who's fickle and weird and crazy, whether it's Pharaoh or one of these, whether we're talking about angelic beings or whether we're just talking about imagined gods, whatever whatever word is being used there in that third verse there, you're trading out the God of the universe who's loving, kind, and gracious, and faithful, and all these things for something that's less than that. Mm-hmm. You're ridiculous. And second, if you're... <laughs> You might love Yahweh and be like, well, yeah, but I just need a little more. So I'm going to build this idol or I'm going to do this thing. Uh, God's like, this is ridiculous. You're selling yourself short of who you're supposed to be. I think one of the interesting things too about this is it says you will not make a carved image for yourself. The Bible Project talks about this a lot on their podcast, but the the word image there is tied back to the Genesis 3 and part of what Genesis 1 to 2 and 3. And this idea of actually being the image of God you are actually the, the image of God. You don't need to make another image of right. God. You, you just look around and you've got it right in front of you. Right. I think it's but, pretty cool. And then how often do we do that? You know, like I, I think in my life, in my circles, I see like sports stars become sure. those, like everything is about what they do. I mean, I think some people do it with just celebrities and mm-hmm. actors and actresses and, and things like that too. But how often do we like put so much emotion and effort and intensity and then those things even start to detract from our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. You know, like we're, we're, we spend so much time in our sport that, you know, and, and we're starting to wrestle through this as, as our kids get old enough to play sports. Like, okay, there are now conflicts between 
sports activities and Awana sports mm-hmm. activities and youth group sports group sports activities and small group and how do we find the balance but but really Doris and I've had this conversation of how do we teach our kids that these sports things are great and we love them but they're not going to upseat right our relationship with God and not right. that like attendance every Sunday at church or attendance at every Awana is a marker necessarily of your relationship with God but you're teaching your kids priorities sure and so, you know, you're, you're teaching, whatever you're doing, you know, I had, I had a conversation with one guy one time a, a way, ways back where he was like, he's like, you know, my kids are always going to, we're always going to go to the sports things. And I said, is that really good? And he said, well, this is the one time in their lives that they have opportunities because when they become adults, you know, cause he's an adult, he's like, I don't get to play sports anymore. He said, this is the one time in their lives where they can be a part of these things and be a kid. So we're going to, we're going to always go to the the sports things and when they're adults they can you know do the do the church mm. things and so i kind of pushed back on that and i was like yeah but what priorities are you teaching your kids sure as children like you're 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 instilling in them this idea that their sports are more important than being a part of a church community for extended periods of time like mm-hmm. and he you know i don't think he agreed yeah i was gonna say it probably didn't change his mind at all right but no. But the conversation happened. Yeah. All right. Number uh, three. I think we're on number four now, right? No, it's still three. I know it you feels like four, but it's really. Shall no other gods not make for yourselves a carved image. Right. Not bow down. Well, that's that's technically that's, still that's within the third. All that. Okay. So, well, and then the four. second, I mean. So the third. first one is do not have any gods. Second one is don't make a carved image and don't bow to it. Number three, okay. do not take the Lord. Yeah, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Yeah. So we talked about this briefly in the sermon. I know we want to talk about this one for a few minutes here, but definitely the word take makes sense. And a lot of us read this and we immediately think I'm not going to use the Lord's name in vain. That's right. usually how OMG. it's right. OMG has totally been the thing. I'll use gosh instead. Here's why OMG does matter still, but let me back it up and kind of explain. I think there Carmen Imes has done a fantastic book on this, and I'm going to put it in the show notes here. But what what this is saying is, don't bear my name. A a couple chapters later, the high priest is actually going to carry all the names of Israel in before the Lord, right? So he is technically bearing the names of the tribes. That same idea is being instituted here. Don't walk around bearing my name and telling everybody how great I am and then not living up to the expectations I have for you. So we read it as don't take the name. And we're like, well, I did never said OMG. Yeah. But if someone knows you're a Christian and you're a total jerk, like I said in the sermon, you've totally missed the mark of what this verse is asking for. Right. Right. And I think there's both a, a positive and negative aspect to this. Like don't, don't misuse the name. Don't Yes. Be a bad bearer of the name, but also positively be a good bearer of exactly. the name. Exactly. And uh, there was a really interesting article that's been going around uh, lately. It's on churchleaders.com. It's an opinion written by Jesse T. Jackson. And Ed Stetzer uh, commented on it, which that's what got Sent it. it yeah. yeah, got it. Some views. Um, but basically, this guy is talking about uh, the Together for the Gospel Conference in Louisville, Kentucky. 12,000 evangelical pastors, Mm -hmm. leaders, deacons, elders got together for this conference and were there for, uh, I think it's a whole week, right? Yeah, pretty close. It's multiple days. Yep. 
And what, what this guy and a couple of his friends did is they just went around to a bunch of the local coffee shops and restaurants that were right in that area. And they just chatted up the, the wait staff, the servers, the baristas and things like that. And just said, Hey, something, did you know something crazy, you know, something big, big event was going on this last week. And most of them were like, yeah, we got slammed, you know, it was, it was mm -hmm. a really busy time for us. And then they started asking like, do you know what, what the conference was? And some of them were able to say like, yeah, it was, it was some Jesus thing or some Bible thing. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were like, no, I just know there were a lot of people. And then they said, you know, was it, was it a hard week for you? And a few of them were like, you know, like it was busy, but it was fine. And some of them were like, oh man, they were just so rude. They were so impatient. They just wanted their stuff right away. And, and these guys, you know, this guy kind of wrote about like, man, if 12,000 pastors and leaders are in a community for a week and they're there and then they leave, like what kind of impact are they having? Totally. One, are they not having gospel centered conversations with the people that they're interacting with, which, you know, I, I think some pushback on that is, sure. is like, well, they're there temporarily. Maybe they're more focused on relational ministry in their own communities. That's fine. But at the very least, like, shouldn't these be the best tippers and the most polite people and the most right. like forgiving if your order got wrong or right. something like that. And that, that's what I think about bearing the name of Christ. Absolutely. Like, are we in our communities, are, are people excited when they see the, the post Sunday crowd at the restaurant? Like the, does do our servers here in Freeport love working the Sunday afternoon shift or do they right. dread it? Right. You know, is it the biggest tip of the week? Are they the most kind people? Do they love me so well that I just feel like this is awesome. I love serving Sunday afternoon to these people who come from wherever they're coming from. They're dressed nicer. You know, if you have no access to Jesus and you, you don't know that all these people are at a church, would you feel like your life is better because we've now descended upon the lunch crowd? You know, right. how great would that be? I think about uh, in the first Corinthians, Paul talks about being a fragrance for Jesus, right? Yeah. This idea that when you, you know, when an emperor would conquer, they would put all these fancy spices and flowers and stuff on and things so that when they came through town, it smelled better. And the idea that Paul's looking for there is we should just have that when we walk through town. As followers of Jesus, there should just be a scent that follows us that everyone goes, this is beautiful. This is way better than it was before. And we don't treat it that way, right. practically speaking. It's unfortunate. Right. And makes the, makes the gospel attractive to these people we, yeah. we interact with. Um, you know, we, we went down to Missouri to plan out that hike thing mm -hmm. and we were just chatting with the the waitress at this little barbecue joint and and she was just asking about a bunch of things we just ended up talking with her she's uh maybe middle-aged and she had a southern accent and she was telling us about how the um the sunday afternoon crowd she she doesn't like it's her worst day to work and she's she's telling us she's like She's like, yeah, they come in here and they're just rude and and they they're so demanding and and I know where you all been just a couple of minutes ago and you know yeah and she's basically telling us yeah like church people are the worst to serve and and we we felt like you know we're like man we apologize on behalf of, of, right. of church people because we're church people and we just you shouldn't be treated that way right like what if what if instead of saying like I know where you all been. And, and you're not acting like it. What if she was like, man, I just love Sunday afternoons because yeah. I know where you all been and, they, and they're all super nice to me. And, you know, like I think that's what it means to bear the name. It, totally. That's totally it. And it, and just to be clear and to finalize this really quick, 
if we're bearing the name well, like what we're describing, there's a fragrance that follows us because we're, we're serving Jesus. Of course, we're going to honor God's name and not use it flippantly. Right. So the, the impact is still the same. OMG still isn't a great thing, but it's not because that's the only thing you can do when you're bearing the name poorly. But it's a, if we really honor God and love God that much, we won't waste his name. We're not going to use it incorrectly. We're not going to, we're not going to go around, you know, using it as a swear word or using it as some kind of exclamation when we're not actually talking to him. So that is the final piece of the puzzle, but but the puzzle is way bigger than that, right? Our whole life is supposed to look and feel like this. So I think that's really important. That one's one of my kind of pet peeves. And like I said, I'll, I'll throw that book in the, in the show notes if you want to grab it. It's a good one. It's a good read. All right, let's move on to the next one. Number four. All right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Yep. Now, what's crazy too is, if you just read that, it says the seventh day. The seventh day is Saturday. Yeah. So we're not even practicing Sabbath in the way that the, the Bible was originally written. And some people might say, well, I already knew that because, yeah, I grew up Jewish or I have a friend that's Jewish and they practice Sabbath sundown Friday through sundown Saturday. Christians have been breaking it for a long time. Folks, before you get all judgy against us, something significant happened on a Sunday morning one day. <laughs> something really, really big. I can't remember. It's really, it's really important. Was Jesus involved? Oh, yeah, it was. It totally was. You're right. Thanks for <laughs> jogging my memory. Jesus rose from the grave on a Sunday. So the early church, while many of them even still practiced Sabbath, they would actually break their Sabbath a lot of times on that Sunday morning or sun, even Sunday evenings, depending on what their schedule was or allowed. And they just celebrated Jesus for the fact that he rose from the grave. And so that tradition began there and kind of has just carried on. And as the church has become more and more Gentile focused, because more Gentiles are serving Jesus than Jews, just merely by numbers, you know, right. and this isn't a knock against Jews. If you think about it, one tiny little nation in the middle of nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I guess in the middle of the ancient world, but, but to us today, where's Israel? What's going on? That little tiny nation is never going to have as many people as the rest of the world. It's just not possible. So just by sheer you know, numbers, the Gentiles have totally overrun this worship of Jesus in the long run. And so we practice on Sundays. And it, but, but I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired on Sunday afternoons. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the key here is the, the rhythm of, exactly. of six and one. Like six days of work, of production, and one day of rest. And this is, this is really hard. And I think, I think what makes this challenging is, you know, Jesus kind of, he, he talks a lot about the Sabbath. Like, is it, you know, he heals a bunch of people on the Sabbath and then the, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, his disciples pick the grains and the Pharisees are like, you're working on the Sabbath. And he's like, is it better to do good or not on the Sabbath? You know, didn't David, uh, take the show bread, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I think that can cause our pendulum to swing too far the other way in that a lot of us, especially, and and I do this, in our productive culture, like we are a culture of efficiency in production. What can you continue to produce? What can you continue to get done? Um, Sabbath is like, we're like seven days of work. Like work, 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 produce, 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 create, 
have something gainful, whether it's employment or some type, some type of value gain every single day of our lives. And even sometimes to the point where like, I feel guilty for taking a day off because I'm like, Oh, I have so much to do both here at the church with the work that we do, or even around my house. Like, Oh, the, the lawn still needs to get mowed. And you know, mm-hmm. right now I'm like neck deep in a bathroom remodel. And sure. so like there's work to be done down there. And we, we forget that God taught us to rest right and showed us how to do it yeah if the god of the universe is going to stop to set the tone for us that we would do the same right who are you to say i'm good right it's a, it's a good reminder that we don't need to be productive every moment of our lives that's the idea that's the point of sabbath it's really important yeah so now now we make the transition like the first four the first four were about kind of our relationship with God. Right. We know that the last five are about our relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, number five here kind of, kind of maybe fits both categories at the same time or a little bit, I think. Yeah. Let me read it and then, yep. then we can talk about it. So honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you. And the reason why this kind of can go to both sides here. And what we mean by that is, you know, the first four deal almost completely strictly with God and the last five deal with humans, like you just mentioned, but this one, our father should be God, right? right? So there's a piece of this that just says there's a transition there between the two. We, we are serving God and therefore he is our father. We honor him with what we're doing. And in that all of our days may be long in the land at the same time, father and mother are our human representation of what it looks like to be a father or be a parent to us like God is. So there's some kind of tie in here or, or thing. Now I, I want to point this out before we get too tied up into this. Cause as I'm reading this and as I'm saying this, I know some of you are thinking my parents don't serve the Lord. So honoring them is not easy. And I've had that conversation with students over the years. I'm sure you've had that conversation mm-hmm. a bunch. I've had conversations with people who are like, my parents are abusive or my parents are mean or my parents are even in the church, sometimes even leaders in the church, and they are not honoring God in their day-to-day life. And it's really hard for me then to honor them as they don't honor God. I totally understand that. You need to understand, again, this is covenantal language spoken to Israel, asking them to start a new society, a new way of doing things. And the assumption here, which I think Paul picks up in Ephesians, because you remember what Paul says in Ephesians, he actually says, honor your father and mother unto the Lord. Right. And that, that little phrase there in Ephesians is saying, if your parents are serving the Lord, then honor them. If they're not serving the Lord, still respect them, still give them the, the, uh, you know, the honor that they're due, but you, you, you don't need to do what they ask you to do. Like if your dad's sending you into a store to go steal stuff for you, for him. Okay. Clearly you're not supposed to honor your father in that moment. You know what I mean? Or if your father or mother are asking you to do something wildly inappropriate, and they're saying we, the Bible tells us to honor. Okay, the Bible's pretty clear here. The assumption here is that the father and mother are both sold out to Yahweh because they've just made the commitment in chapter 19. And because they've made that commitment to Yahweh, they are serving Yahweh. As they serve Yahweh, we honor them. So when they ask us not to do this or not to do that, we take them at face value and trust that they're walking with the Lord in this regard and that God will deal with them in the long run if they're wrong. That's really mm-hmm. at least how I understand it. How would you... Yeah, no, I, I I don't think I would push back on that. I think, um, 
you know, I think the term honor here is used intentionally because, mm-hmm. because we've even had this, this discussion with, with our kids a little bit. And sometimes like, uh, my wife will tell one of my sons to do something and he'll walk by me on his way to do that. And then I will tell him to do something that's not like contradictory, but like she might say, go brush your teeth. And then he'll walk by me and it's, I, we both notice it's bedtime and I'll say, go get your, go get your jammies on. And so now he's, he's at like this mm-hmm. crossroads of like, who do I obey? Mm-hmm. And, and there have been a few times I use he because all my kids are boys and then you don't know yeah. which one it is. Yeah. Um, there have been a few times where he's been like, he's been like, no mom said to, and we're like, okay, you, you can say that kindly. You can say mm-hmm. that in an honoring <laughs> way. Like, Hey right. dad, mom asked me to do this. Can I do what you just asked me to do right after I do that? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think that there's a way to like in our sometimes pushback of our parents, there's a way to do it in a way that's honorable mm-hmm. and there's a way to do it dishonorable, even though we're, we may not do what they say, you know, mm-hmm. like that's where your, your dad could tell you to do something that you don't feel right about doing or your parents. Absolutely. And there's, there's a right way and a wrong way to respect them sure. while still not obeying, I would say. Right. It reminds me of the movie Sing, right? Where the gorillas oh, yeah. to rob a bank and he follows his dreams. That's exactly what you're talking about. Yes, that that no, was just, it. <laughs> that that was what I I told my son to rob a bank, and Narissa said, "Follow your dreams." Oh, just kidding. That's great. But even that, yeah, I mean, telling your parents, "Well, no, I'm going to do both of those things." That would be even a better strategy than Mom told me to do this. Right. Well, me telling you to put your PJs on during bedtime while she told you to brush your teeth. Those two things go together. So maybe you should just do both. Yeah. And give me less attitude. Yeah. Have a but, great. But day. I mean, I mean, not like. Not even sure. using my kids as an example. I'm, I'm trying to do that a little bit less these days. But, uh, <laughs> um, but any any type of, you know, instruction you give your kids, if sure. mom and dad give them, you know, again, they're not like competing instructions like eat this, don't eat this, or go to bed, don't go to bed, but like just two things. And we expect obedience. And, you know, we teach our kids like it's not obeying if I ask you to do something and you like go play with your toys and then mm-hmm. go obey. Like it's it's – we we expect immediate obedience um you know any type of situation where they're given two things that they can't do at the same time right even if they're disconnected from each other there's a there's a respectful way to say like hey dad uh mom asked me to do this or hey dad i'm right in the middle of something that can be completed within a certain time frame right. so then i can do that right you know my kids aren't quite that articulate to say like not hey, yet hey hey father by the way but, you know, there's a respectful way for them to say, like, sure, mom asked me to do this. Yep. I'm avoiding jokes about my children being less articulate because I have two <laughs> girls, but that's a, sorry, girls. I won't say that out loud. Oh, I just did. Oh, well. Okay. Let's do the next three really fast because these three are fairly self-explanatory. The last two are going to take a little bit of time to kind of work through. Do not murder, or you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. Those seem self-explanatory at first at face value, right? Right. But as, as we pointed out in the sermon, and we, and we talked about this before we even jumped up here to, to record this, they're not as self-explanatory as we'd like them to be because Jesus raises the ante later and says, well, that was like the bare minimum. Murder, I, I don't want you to even have hate in your heart toward your brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, adultery, I don't even want you to look lustfully at somebody else. Steal, you know, Jesus doesn't say this, but you and I would say this. I, I don't even want you to take someone's time for granted. I, I right. or, or I don't want you to 
you know, grab a whole bunch of free stuff at the store, the basket's clearly asking you just to take one, right? Or the classic Halloween moment, you know, where right. you come up in the, the porch and, it, you know, there's the bucket there and the, and the sign that says only take one has been taken or has fallen off. And you just take the bucket and you like dump it into your bucket. That was not what you were supposed to do. And you knew it. And you didn't think, well, I'm not stealing. It's free. Right. Uh, the spirit of the law here has been broken by you. And we need to kind of reconfigure let, let the lord change us a little bit yeah because all three of these are more looking what jesus is saying look more at the heart issues yes. you know like yes technically all of those things there are free but there's an intent that you would you you know you i i shared this example with you earlier but like you know the the stores where they give you a free mini yeah. pencil I'm, th I'm thinking like ikea for you to take sure. notes like i have known people to go in and be like Oh, I love these pencils because I use them for the in like take handfuls and like yeah, technically they're free and they're out there for everybody, but the the spirit the intent of that is that you will use that while you're shopping at the store, mm -hmm. not for you to like take a whole box and or right. you see sometimes now nowadays it seems like every restaurant charges you for extra sauces that aren't ketchup yeah and same type of thing when they used to be available and people would be like oh yeah I want like sure thirty Chick Fil A sauces I know Chick Fil A sauce is so good but like. The intent is that that sauce is there for you to use in that meal, not for you to like right. stock up and hoard. Like, yes, it's free, right. but you're, yeah, maybe the spirit of the law is that where, where's your heart at? We're such Americans. Yeah. I mean, really what you're describing there is, is more of an American problem even than the rest of the world. It's an efficiency productive. Yeah, it totally. It's a, well, it's here. I'm going to take as much as I can because it's free. And what's weird is I've been in other parts of the world where all that stuff is still out and everybody can take whatever they want. And people just have a, it, the culture has a totally different feel to it. And ironically, I, I sit there and think that's closer to probably what God wants us to be doing rather than how we do things in America. But mm -hmm. we're a Christian, I put this in quotes, right? We're a Christian country who treats the waitress terribly on a Sunday afternoon. So because we're not bearing the Lord's name well, we don't necessarily think through murder, adultery, and stealing in the right way, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. All right. Yeah. So number nine. number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Yeah, so don't lie. Really, it's about lying, but it's also about misrepresenting them even. I would even go so far as to say, you know, this is talking about your neighbor, but I, you've, you know, locker room yeah. talk became a big thing a, few, a number of years ago. <laughs> and I've been in locker rooms where I'm listening to guys talk about their wives in a, in a way that is not honoring them at all. And even if they're telling the truth, they're bearing a false witness. They're, they're creating a, a, a mirage of that person that's really inappropriate. So I would push this into all different kinds of areas, not just even, you know, well, yeah, my neighbor did this and he's wrong. Or, no, my neighbor murdered somebody. You know, okay, yeah. those are the extreme versions, bearing false witness against them in that way. It's about don't lie, but it's also about loving the person well enough to realize that they're a human being. They deserve value and, and respect. And so we're going to, you know, not tear them down in front of somebody else. We're not going to tell somebody else about how terrible they are. There's, there's so much more to this heart of this law than just don't bear false witness. Right. Right. Again, it, go, it goes back to the heart. Cause like we all know or have been in situations where somebody told us something that was technically true, but they were intentionally misleading us to believe right. something false. Like I would put that as bearing false witness. And Absolutely. You know, like I've been in situations where, where people have, have led things and they're trying to get something across or an idea or, you know, um, some sort of plan across. Sure. And so they, they then have a conversation with a person and then they tell you about that conversation, but they only tell you the half mm -hmm. about it 
so that you are led to believe that the other person they were talking about agrees or disagrees with you. Or, you know, I've seen this even the, the, the worst case scenario is trying to sow seeds of discord. Like somebody will come and say, well, you wouldn't believe they just came in and did this terrible, like said sure. these terrible things to me. And you're like, man, they, they, they must be like terrible or really have this in their heart. But what they don't tell you is that that person also came in five minutes later and is like, you know what? I'm sorry. That wasn't the right way to do that. Right. They apologized. Like they don't tell you that half. So they tell you something technically true. Yeah. Totally. Like this, this event did happen, but they leave out like an important part of it or an important piece of the context sure. to lead you to believe something that's actually not true. I would throw that in this bearing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's an element of that in our culture all the time. That's, that's how politics is played. Right. Right. I mean, you make an, an amazing statement, you cut the first half of that statement out and you're like, well, that's what they believe. Well, no, if you listen to the last half of it, they totally renounced that. What they were saying is, you know, I, you know, if I said, I know that you think racism is good and all you did was cut racism is good. Chris says racism is good. You've missed the whole point. Yeah. And that's what our politicians do is they grab a little piece and they're like, okay, I can use it against them. Or like you said, you know, we've both been a part of teams that are not the most functional teams, whether mm -hmm. it's church or otherwise, where individuals throw each other under the bus. And, you know, if I came to you and I said, you will not believe what Mark just said about you. Mark said that, you know, you did this, this, and this. And you're like, well, Mark doesn't like me at all. This is terrible. But what I didn't tell you was Mark right after that said, but I like the way Alex is doing that. It's helping me change the way that I do this or that. And, and I'm just using, it's a random illustration. It's right, not even right. true, but I'm just like, it, I'm bearing false witness against Mark. <laughs> uh, but in that moment, it's, if Mark just gave me the first half of it, you would look really bad. And right. I like working for this team specifically. It's the healthiest church I've ever been a part of, partly because we do go the extra step just to say, but this is really the context of what that was being said with, or, or, you know, Hey, they might've, they might've said something to you that came across more angry than they meant to, but you don't realize that, you know, having some trouble at home with the kids or hasn't slept very well lately. And we kind of are able to frame it and people are like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm willing to give a little grace and be forgiving in that. That's how a team is supposed to work. Right. And that's not bearing false witness as doing things the right way. Right. And I think as Christians, sometimes we, we like find comfort in the technically true, sure. right? Like I didn't lie to you. Right. So it's fine. But what's really going on in our hearts is we, we know that you believe something that's not necessarily true as the result of our conversation. But I didn't lie to you. You came to your own conclusion that way. I said the truth. Like, that's not, I would say that would be bearing false witness. Sure. So. Sure. I'm, I'm totally with you. All right. The last one, which we have some fun things to talk about here, I think. Ooh. Go ahead and read it. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I don't know about you. But I really struggle with number 10. My neighbor has this donkey. That is so awesome. <laughs> and I just look at that donkey every morning and I think, man, I wish I had that particular donkey. No, clearly, this, this comes back to what we started with. The fact that this is written to Israel in a certain time and a certain period, it doesn't mean that this is now null and void because none of us have servants necessarily. None right. of us have donkeys or oxes or whatever. But the point is the same. God was trying to build... Israel into a new culture, a new way of doing things, a new way of thinking. And his goal was, even if you think about it, a lot of the people that we're talking about here have just gotten all those things for free from Egypt as they were fleeing. Mm -hmm. So he might, in some way, what God is saying is, if your neighbor's neighbor <laughs> was a better neighbor than your neighbor was, and they gave them more stuff, you don't covet that. Right. 
you, we don't act like that. We don't wish that we had more. We just trust God to give me enough. And if somebody else got ahead, you know, one of the big things for me on this one was years ago, somebody got a promotion that was so cool. They got to go to a, a really, you know, totally different situation, ton more money. And I, and my lesser years, I would have been, well, what, what about me? But it was so neat for me to sort of have applied this then to my life and go, no, I'm not going to cover that. That's awesome for them. I'm going to celebrate with them. That's really the way this is supposed to go. So, you know, as your children get older, I know my kids struggle with this sometimes. It's not so much coveting one another. They just, well, I wish I had that. Well, you, the Lord didn't allow that in your life right now. Celebrate with your sister in my case, you know, mm-hmm. or in your case, celebrate with your brothers. Like this is how we do it. We, we celebrate the wins and we mourn the losses together and we don't wish that we had what they have. We just trust that the Lord's got us and he's teaching us something really cool. Yeah, and this it's a big contentment thing. And this this my heart wrestles with this all the time because, you know, it's easy to look at what someone else has and think, well, man, they have more or better than me. And mm-hmm. they, they didn't really work very hard for it. There are there are some things that just fall into people's laps or you know, if if you have a a friend that you know, works in a different field where mm-hmm. like opportunities are different or salaries are different. And, you know, I'm, I'm very well taken care of by our church, but I, you know, I'm a youth pastor. Like I have, sure. I have a standard youth pastor salary that more than takes care of my family, but it's easy for me to look at like, man, I'm, I'm working my butt off over here and I'm making the youth pastor salary. And, and that guy over there, he, he doesn't do that much work, and, yep. but, but he happens to work at a bank and banks, they, they may, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just, it's very easy for that contentment to to erode away right when you see what other people have yeah and uh you know something that that you brought up that i just i've never thought about when this was given to the israelites they didn't have houses no so you shall not covet your neighbor's house like yeah, thanks a lot god yeah, yeah. <laughs> i don't even have a house i live in a tent that we move around every well that were well they were on their way to the promised land at this point they weren't in the 40 years but right um yeah and i think i think this is kind of just a like a reminder for contentment. That's all it is. Possessions and relationships. Absolutely. That's it. So you'll hear this a bunch of times, you know, the 10 commandments, there's a bunch of arguments out there about how many there actually are. You know, we even had a a brief lapse in one of those when we were talking a little bit ago about the idols versus bowing down. Some groups do break those into two different commandments and uh, some groups also leave off the idol part because it's easier for them to do that. And then they break covet into multiple because it says do not covet. I've seen it. Uh, We both have. (laughs) And we've maybe even worshiped in those circles occasionally at different times. There's a great debate out there. But what we're doing here is just sticking with the 10 that are least argued about, I would say. Right? So number one, don't have any of the gods before me. Number two, don't make a carved idol. Don't bow down to it. Number three, don't use my name in vain. And that, that is a much bigger idea, right? Bear the name in vain. Number four... Keep the Sabbath holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, you know, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, you shall not covet. That's a society worth living in. Yeah. And most of what we struggle with today is people breaking the law. But if you think about it, our laws have pretty much been shaped by this concept whether the first four are followed by our country very well is a whole nother discussion, right? Sabbath isn't a big strong suit of ours. Other gods, we kind of like, 
you know, we even, he's the home run God, you know, oh, it's not appropriate, <laughs> you know, or we've certain churches that will put up an image of whether it's God or Jesus to worship that as opposed to the one that you're supposed to be worshiping. All right. of those things we, we struggle with, but the bottom of it, we live in one of the safest societies in all of time. I mean, even though it feels very violent and scary right now because the media throws it all out, we are currently living in the safest days to live on earth ever. Mm-hmm. And part of that's because we've been influenced by you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness and you shall not covet. And if you've broken any of these or all of these, even this morning, there is still hope. But what God is saying here is if you follow me and you do things my way, it will go well for you. And that's how we're supposed to think about this. This isn't necessarily a, you broke it, so you're out forever. At the same time, they're important enough that we should do what God's asking us because I don't know about you, but I I do want to live a better life. I want to live a life that's worth living. And when I do it God's way, I usually end up in the right spot. Yep. And the only time that it would be perceived that I'm not in the right spot is when I don't make the money that I feel like I deserve, right? Or I don't, <laughs> I don't get the thing that I feel like. But even then, I, you know, someone told me years ago, the safest place to be is in, in the will of God. And I would say that is totally true, even if it takes you to death. 